and welcome to yet another episode of the World Tennis Show with me, Adam Bayfield, Tony Kerr. Hello. And Patrick Ogier. Hello there. Here we are again, guys. Yep. <laughs> Definitely don't make the same jokes as last time. <laughs> it hasn't been as long. No, but we also made jokes about him making the jokes last time. So yeah, let's just... Be best. Oh, well, I've that. written on my hands, Sam Prasalendal. I'm not sure what that's about. <laughs> just outlaw all jokes. <laughs> Get straight on with it. Okay. I've noticed uh, you you start the show very upbeat. Mm. And by the end of it, maybe just because the general tone, it's just... Just drops to misery. The general Tony Kerr, is that what you're General Tony, yeah. Yeah, no, I always start in a really good mood. I'm trying to bring a lot of energy to the room, uh, but doesn't last because you guys just kind of stare at me. Just bring you down. Yeah. Have you had a good summer? I, I'm asking you that question as though I haven't seen you. Just pretend for the purposes of the podcast that I haven't seen you over the summer. It's been all right. No, it's been very good. Yeah, very excellent. good, yeah. Cracking into August. Uh, the key question is, uh, did you have enough food before you came here tonight, Tone? Because it's already, I mean, it's five to eight. We're going to do one of these for, what are we going to record for, about two hours? And, uh, Hopefully not. And then we're going for a Chinese after that. So have you had a snack? I actually had a very big lunch. I went to uh, a local restaurant uh, where I had chicken milanese. Mm-hmm. Which, are you allowed to say which restaurant? La Perla. Oh right! Is yeah. it good? The chicken. Excellent. So chicken, You're allowed a, to say. chicken, a, chicken, a scallop, escalop, a scallop. <laughs> <laughs> it's gold. It's great. Yeah. Strong start. Some sort of bready chicken thing, uh, spag bowl, plus sides. Fantastic. You, you keep ordering so, full. Wait, so much food. The other night you had pizza. The other night you had pizza, pasta. <laughs> And a rice chips. dish. And chips. <laughs> and rice. Well, you know, I just think like, it's going to require a lot of my energy tonight. I keep being out with you at restaurants and you keep ordering things for the table. You're like, yeah, can we just get some ribs for the table? No one ever sees any of it. <laughs> wow. So I was thinking about getting a, uh, a meat platter for the table. Yeah, yeah, but, long, yeah but that's all you have to say. You carbo-load like, for sleep. It's not <laughs> for an event. Just something for the table. Then it comes. It hits the table. Everyone spits the bill, everyone's happy, and then if you want a bit, yeah, you have a bit. <laughs> there was one the other day where it was like five of you got steak and you got a sixth steak for the table. Well, it's not helping your uh, your plan to get into the suit that you need for, the wedding, much isn't. for this wedding coming up. Is there, you always seem to have a suit. Last time you bought a suit, did you buy it purposefully? It was tight? too tight when I bought it. And yeah. you, it was manageable for the wedding. That was Green's wedding, wasn't it? Mm, yeah. Um, what's the situation this time? Same suit? Not going to get into that suit, so I had to buy a new suit. <laughs> I had to buy a new suit for... Uh, for no, 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 actually, no, sorry, yeah. That, that, that suit, yeah, I can get into that suit. For Nick's okay. wedding. Just about now. So, uh, yeah, but I've got, we've got six weeks. <laughs> oh, no, no, we, we do have like six Three weeks? We have three and a bit weeks. Perfect, that's, that's a perfect wedding. amount of weeks. <laughs> not if you keep getting things for the table, it's not. True story. True. Well, I didn't decide we were going for Chinese after this. Uh, well, as listeners may be able to tell, this podcast is about tennis. Uh, and this is our our US Open review show, I guess. We 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 discussed, we had a live on-air production meeting last time and decided that we're going to do one podcast for each of the four Grand Slams. But yeah, it was an exciting couple of weeks in New York. And at the end of it, Stan Wawrinka was crowned the champion on the men's side beating Novak Djokovic in the final. Uh, so let's start with this, Patrick. A simple question. Was it a good final? But I'd like you to incorporate into your answer, this is how you're going to get top marks, 
Was it a good final, both in terms of being an exciting match, and was it a good final in terms of the quality of the tennis? It was both, yeah. Um, Four well, marks, there you go. <laughs> How many marks That's is the average length of one of my old like, school or uni answers as well. Um, yeah, no, it was a great match. Um, it was similar in a way to the to Vavrenka's victory over Djokovic in the French, in that again losing the first set. And you'd think, I'm not sure what Djokovic's record is like after winning the first set, but it's got to be pretty strong. Mm. And um, you, I think Tone, you even said sometimes it's happened. You w- watch the first set, you think, oh, Djokovic is on his way. It was quite late at night. Oh, I, I went to sleep. I went. I was watching it in bed, and then when Djokovic won the first set, I was like, I think, you know, that's, yeah. that's game over. I can go yeah. to sleep now. Well, you didn't learn from the French then. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> but, um, yeah, then uh, Varenka's showing amazing um, amazing heart, amazing fight to to come back and uh, and do it. And just, it's quite similar, actually, to the French. I think he just, it's just power. His power is unbelievable. I don't think Djokovic played badly at all. I think it's still hung on a few points. And it was... A bit up and down in terms of at the start, Djokovic was a breakup. Vavrinka got back into it. You know, Djokovic took that set. Vavrinka led. It was it was quite up and down. But as Djokovic said afterwards in the ceremony, he said Vavrinka was the more. I think he put it as courageous in the big moments. He had the edge in in those sort of key points. And just through unbelievable power of hitting, the level was was amazing. Yeah, I mean, some of their matches over the years at the Australian Open, for example, and then Vavrinka's performance of the French and then this one, the you know, it starts to look like a computer game. Mm, virtuous tennis. Yeah, if not better. Like a boss in a computer game. <laughs> and uh yeah, unbelievable. And it, Djokovic I think basically just didn't have any answer to Vavrinka's brilliance at uh, at those key moments. Especially the backhand down the line. He used that again amazingly well. And yeah, for once you just saw that despite Djokovic's phenomenal defence, he's coming up against a player who could just, could eventually break through it. I think, yeah, exactly. When you mentioned just before about the first set going to Novak, you know, particularly on a tie break as well. Yeah, you know, I guess for Vavrinka, this probably wouldn't have entered his mind, but if one of us had been playing uh, you know, Djokovic there and had you know, gotten as close as you know close to winning the first set but then eventually losing it fairly one-sidedly in the tiebreaker yeah it's easy to probably just get a bit downhearted after that yeah and Vavrinka's record against Djokovic in tiebreaks is horrible um so when you know in in any of the sets when it's getting close there you think like he has to he has to break here too well like, yeah because that becomes a psychological thing where you just think like what if your record's whatever it is 13 two in the last two or something like that in the last tiebreaks they've played then that plays on your mind on the on the big stage but Vavrinka is a is a a massive match player isn't he oh absolutely well he's he's played three Grand Slam finals and won all three now and he's won his last 11 finals that he's played hasn't he but he's also in those three Grand Slam finals he's lost the first set every time so in terms of the the mental Fortitude, what you're just talking about there. So, because he did, he, I thought he looked pretty despondent when he lost that tiebreak. There was one point in that tiebreak, if you remember, that was about 19, 20 shots. Oh, that was phenomenal. The, yeah. I mean, well, 19, 20 shots is a lot of shots, but it's maybe not one of the longest rallies you'd ever see. But the quality of it from shot one was incredible. And Vavrinka won that, but then he lost the next sort of three or four quite yeah. soft points. Well, the, I know, and at the, that stage, yeah. you thought, well, I mean, he just looked kind of gutted and, I, and that was when I thought right this is this is only going one way from here yeah. so the mental strength the sort of resilience 
to stick in the match against Djokovic. Yeah. You know, he's unbelievably impressive. Yeah. He's such an erratic player, isn't he? Because he... You mean um, sort of throughout the year? Yeah. I mean, not, he, not, not necessarily within... Yeah, he can, put, he, can put out, he can put one performance where he's staggeringly unerratic in mm. terms of like, just the pace at which he's hitting and yet landing it on the lines or hitting that backhand down the line. You know, sometimes he hits it where it's kind of not quite around the net post mm. but from outside of the line and it just, just lands like plumb on the line on a key moment and you just think like how yeah how is he doing that and yet throughout the year he doesn't as you say in terms of the year as a whole yeah his level is up and down it's like he can't but it's like it's a motive it seems like a motivational thing and he's been accused um quite fairly sometimes of more or less tanking in um like the atp finals in london um and there are other times where people almost get frustrated with with knowing how well he can play and that he doesn't mm. he doesn't always deliver. Yeah, but, he has good days and bad days. You're right that within a match he's kind of when he's at that level he's kind of metronomically hitting the lines. But yeah, he can be, you know, he can sort of go out meekly in the early rounds of a slam but then suddenly produce his tennis which is arguably on another level to anything you see on the tour, certainly, you know, some of the best tennis you'll yeah. ever see. In that sense, he's kind of the polar opposite of Djokovic, isn't he? Or someone like, even like David Ferrer, who's just like so consistent all the time. He has good days, he has bad days. Yeah. But when he plays like that, I mean, he's just I think irresistible. He's of the, they were talking about the his single hander, his backhand um, in full flow. It's 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 the best in the world. I mean, o- over. I mean, probably the three contenders would be would be Vavrinka, Gasquet, and Federer, wouldn't they? For single handers For single handed backhands, mm. which is the, probably yeah. the most aesthetically pleasing shot. Flourishy, yeah, whooping um, kind of. I think last yeah. time we said Gasquet is just the best, but at oh, this point, definitely Vavrinka. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, it's you know between the two, you'd love to just watch them kind of, you know, make a. I'm sure someone's done it, but you know, great gif, wouldn't it? Just them exchanging. Backhands mm. infinitely. Oh, I love a gift. Into infinite infinity. Yeah. That's what I was looking yeah. for. Yeah. Although, actually, as much as his backhand is absolutely glorious and, yeah, like aesthetically one of the best shots in tennis, arguably his forehand is actually the, the key to it. It's like when, when his forehand's not there, like yeah. that tends to be when he. Yeah, that's the wing. Good, that's the wing which uh, which can can falter. But isn't when it? It, when he is, you know, when it's firing, yeah, it's again one of the best forehands. And I mean, it's maybe not quite Del Potro or um, or Federer, but you know, it's one of the best forehands in tennis, isn't it? It is a peculiar sport because maybe a bit unfair. But you look at Babrinka; he doesn't necessarily look like he'd be the fittest guy on no, tour. No. Like he's you know he's slightly kind of like he might chunky not fit build. into the wedding mm. suit. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. He's like brought he's the suit. <laughs> he's got six weeks. Um, it's not looking ideal. But well, he, doesn't, he doesn't look like sort of gaunt in the way that Jock No, he does, doesn't. Does he? But then he, he but, looks like you know he looks sort of. But it was like extraordinary. He enjoyed his evenings. <laughs> he played. <IG. laughs> he played. Uh, well, we, we, he walked past us at the French Open driver when we were there, and he's like, he's yeah, he's chunky. He looks kind of like a pretty pretty solid. Whereas Djokovic looks kind of like a cyclist, like an endurance athlete. But he did outlast Djokovic in the match, and had played so much more tennis than Djokovic throughout the two weeks. I think we need, need to talk about that because mm. it was a bizarre U.S. Open for Djokovic. I mean, well, he, he got well, to yeah. the final after playing probably. What was it? Three full. He'd played two full matches. I think it was six hours, six and a half hours. He'd been on court. Yeah. 
He must have played three full matches because he had three. I was going to say walkovers, but not walkovers. Three, three. Like retired. Re, yeah, three games where his opponent had retired. Yeah. So he must have won three as well. But I think he was on court for six and a half hours. I think it was. And they said Vavrinka finished the tournament with like twenty. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, Vavrinka had that. It's pretty amazing. When I was watching the final, a strange thought came to me, which is that Dan Evans, Britain's Dan Evans, would probably mm. be quite enjoying watching Vavrinka play that well there's a weird thing i don't know if this is in other sports as well but like for example if if i play a tennis tournament and i lose to someone it's kind of reassuring if they then yeah go on and win the tournament but dan evans had match point against Vavrinka in the third round and that was he was by far the person who who pushed him closest which is an amazing achievement and and uh encouraging for british tennis so he'd be watching that final thinking you know oh. Don't know what all the fuss is about. <laughs> um, and you know, it was it was uh, it was close on that point. Well, Van Brinker hit like a little angle volley to to win it, and then won it closely in five sets. So, uh, but he played a lot of a lot of tennis. You know, beat Del Potro as well. And that was a pretty pretty good match. But well, I mean, I thought coming into the final, sorry, Dan, I I thought that uh, it's going to fade you down. <laughs> I thought that you know the fact that Djokovic had played a lot less tennis would count in his favour. But do you think maybe he just didn't have the match sharpness because he struggled that. a bit yeah. over the summer? I'm with you, Tony. I think. Uh, because, you, yeah, uh, what, yeah. Hang well, on, what don't you buy? No, the the idea that he was sort of undercooked or yeah. or not sharp because you know the guy's been playing like Grand Slam tennis for eleven years now and smashing. You know, like you'd back Djokovic to not play any tennis for weeks and then just and turn outside yeah I do, but he's had a very strange end to the year hasn't he it's a Djokovic. weird one a strange I, summer I, yeah, I, it's I, not I, the end of the year but, yeah. well you know what I mean okay well end of the Grand Slam year yeah. he has yeah. I, I agree with you though but because we'll um, if you've played that much tennis and you're probably the, mentally the strongest player on tour physically the, be- the, the fittest you know if someone said to you right you can you know you can play a few hours here and there um, quite straightforward matches and then guarantee be in the final rather than, okay, you can have these epics which would be draining. I mean, I, I think he was in a perfect position really to do it. Yeah, perhaps we've talked about this before a bit as well. You know, when uh, we did a podcast midway through one of them, didn't we? And Murray had was really had really had a couple of um, kind of shockingly close matches. This was at the French. The French so like yeah, when yeah. he played... Um, when he played Stepanek mm-hmm. and it's like he loses the first two sets and you think oh and and yeah it can be beneficial I think to have maybe one close match like that to kind of wake you up to get you into that state where you're fighting for every ball but there's no way you can't convince me that Djokovic isn't ready to do that on any given day and you basically saying that the the fittest player in the world is going into a match fresher than his opponent which makes it all yeah. the more amazing that actually Babrinka looked physically the better of the two and Djokovic um, towards the end he he was having serious physical yeah. problems well that's and, what uh, well, I mean I yeah. agree with you that it surely can't I, I don't think it harmed his chances that he you know that he had those walkovers or that he didn't play a lot of tennis leading up to it because it should have made him fresh and that should be a great thing for him but I just wonder if he's got some physical problems you know, more long-standing ones, more more generally at the moment. And like when we last spoke, he looked pretty much infallible, didn't he? He'd just won the French Open. You know, we we were discussing it and wondering if he'd ever be beaten. Basically, I mean, not yeah. that's an exaggeration, but yeah. you know what I mean. He, he's suddenly this summer he's looked very much fallible, and part of that may be just that he's 
he's struggling with some physical things in a way that he hasn't before. Yeah, he seems to have some sort of chronic discomfort, doesn't he? Uh, and yeah, you know, as I was saying before, you know, just yeah, the, the way things have gone for him since we last spoke and after he won at the uh, Roland Garros, everyone, all the the chat was, well, you know, when is he going to go past Federer? Not if. Say so all the chat. Are you talking about in here? Or well, yeah, I mean, I definitely erred on the side of caution, I think, and, and wisdom, and said it. You know, that, that <laughs> as it was usual, un- un- <laughs> it was unlikely. You know, that <laughs> well, erred on the side of wisdom is definitely not an expression. <laughs> you always, go, I erred on the side of genius. Um, <laughs> you, why wouldn't you? You always go. I think it was me that was making a very good point. Yeah. But, yeah. He was but, making this point. I think it was me. But, is he, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't blame you for thinking that Djokovic. <laughs> yeah, Bayford, you. Could, you kept saying, like, okay, this time next year, he'll have overtaken Federer. And I said, well, that's mathematically not even possible. But you kept at it. I said, no. <laughs> but anyway, trust to, me on this. But yeah, you know, it, it, with that discomfort that he's got or whatever is sort of just undermining him slightly, yeah, it's all sort of fallen away quite quickly this summer, I guess, with the, you know, with the Olympics sandwiched in there as well. Yeah, the the defeat at Wimbledon, then the Olympics, where obviously I mean that was an unbelievable match against Del Potro. Yeah, he went out in the first round, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. and then uh, and then here as well with a bit of a stop start, you know, whether he was under or not, but a stop start tournament, and then you know, and no shame to be for Varinka to get the better of you because clearly Varinka on his day, you know, can be a match for anyone. Well, he had a Varinka of a day, didn't he? He did. He did. He was so. That was the secret. That will probably annoy him, though, won't it? That you know, Djokovic clearly wants to be the best ever, uh, and that will uh, that will chip away at him a little bit and, and irritate him. I'm sure, and you know, you, you wouldn't back him, you wouldn't back against him. Rather, you know, coming back at the start of next year, he'll almost certainly win the Australian Open, won't he? And then, you know, who knows what he could do next year? But well, this is it. I mean, it's as much as it was tempting after Roland Garros to say, you know, who's ever going to stop this guy? It might now be tempting to say, well, suddenly the landscape's changed and, you know, maybe he's uh, on a, on the downward curve. Uh, but actually, you know, things can change again. And it could just be that, yeah, he's having a few fitness problems and, you know, over the off-season, he could sort all that out. But you do just wonder what... He's been operating at an absolutely insane level fitness-wise for the yeah. last six years or so, like, since he, you know, since 2011 when he kind of broke through... And you wonder whether at some point he might not be able to quite maintain that well, in the same well, I, way. Well, I remember Federer saying, like, asked about Djokovic's dominance and recently, I think, as well as asked, like, you know, it, does he deserve all the accolades or, or how uh, deserve to be in this position to be discussed in, in this way? And Federer said, it, absolutely, it's all down to, like, his work and, and he's been just this unbelievable force. But I remember maybe it was it was the end of last year or something, Federer saying in an interview, like, it's hard. Like, there's nothing harder than maintaining that that level, which is what makes it so crazy when, you know, someone does manage to do it for however many weeks. But um, also because the the athleticism is one of the main attributes for Djokovic, and it's one of the main reasons yeah. why he has I don't been think, so good. I mean, obviously, he's an unbelievably good tennis player. I don't think the problems are physical. Also, okay. I don't at all. The only thing I considered and that I did actually hear... <laughs> theory about was that he seemed to he seemed to fade in a couple of matches and we might have mentioned this before but he he constantly like tinkers with his diet and he had gone sort of fully I think more or less fully vegan mm. and there was some comment about 
with how that had affected his sort of strength or endurance in some of these matches. That's it's just it's just a theory. But he he had, he's commented a few times now, hasn't he, about like oh, I have there have been some personal issues going on, and people immediately think oh is that you know with his family with his wife. But there was also this question question mark about um, about his diet and things like that. Because to me as well, he does just seem to keep getting thinner. Um, if you see uh, see footage of him from you know, say 2010 or something, it's quite striking, like how gaunt and how thin he is. And now, think, rather than mm, now, now compared yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Back then, I mean, he dropped a lot of weight, and he was he was skinny then. But when he sort of went gluten free, and ever since then, he's he he dropped a lot of weight, and he's, apparently his family were quite alarmed and all that sort of stuff. And he said he, he felt lighter, he felt fitter, he felt stronger. And I think still. I mean, I don't want to overplay the thing about Djokovic because I think it's still a relatively minor blip, these things. Mm. He's still, you know, he, he um, really struggled in the Olympics, obviously, but lost to Del Potro in that great match, was horribly disappointed um, and came straight back and won yeah. Cincinnati. Yeah, Cincinnati, um, yeah. He's still the best player in the world. He's still watching it, even though Vavrinka overcame him. I, I actually, and this is bearing in mind, just watched the Olympics and the fact that I'm a Federer fan, I was thinking this guy's the best practitioner of any sport in the world now, for me, that's how impressive Djokovic's level is, and um, and you've seen Kerr play tennis as I well. So. Yeah, yeah, and you don't say it lightly. No, I don't say it lightly at all. And also, we we have over the last few years gotten quite annoyed with people, you know, going, "Well, Federer's past, isn't he? He's only got yeah. to a Grand Slam semi-final three times this year and one final, yeah. and stuff like that." You know, like yeah. Djokovic got to the final. I mean, yes, he had three, you know, walkovers. I don't know what to call those matches. Essentially, whatever, yeah, whatever yeah, you know what I mean. Retirement. But it's still, it's not a bad result. It's not a bad tournament. Three Bayfields. He's not had a disaster. <laughs> three Bayfields are still. <laughs> but he, um, yeah, and then pushed Vavrinka very close. Yeah. Vavrinka on the absolute top of his game. So I don't think, I think um, there's this sort of personal issue going on. I don't think it's a, it's a big physical problem. I think I would make the case he's still the, the fittest athlete in tennis um uh, yeah i mean i think it's natural though that people are going to ask questions because he'd won the previous four grand slams and then he goes at the wimbledon olympics us open and doesn't win any of them so you know yeah if it any if it was one of those you'd say well yeah whatever that happens you know tab three that's not to say the the rug sort of been pulled out from under his feet but yeah clearly it is a blip but yeah you know he will come back next year surely yeah. And that, that, that aspect that, that this tournament was so weird in terms of the matches he played makes it harder to actually gauge what his level is. You know, if, he'd had, if he had faced fully fit, very strong opponents throughout the two weeks, we'd more accurately be able to say, right, well, that's the level he's playing. But as it is, he, he had that, just that one, you know, one match against Vavrinka to really, to really judge it. And, and just, just what I think of it, the Vavrinka thing is crazy and backs up what you're saying about how erratic he is because they said that up until this point of the year he hadn't beaten a single top 10 player right and then it's just that's insane it's just okay i'll just win the win the s open (laughs) yeah when you mean that as well i was thinking about that in terms of uh sort of feeding into the goat debate that we always have on the show about who's the greatest of all time and that we've said before that it's like a huge part of it it's not just like who has played the best tennis ever Mm. it's who has been the best consistently over a long period of time and yeah, Vavrinka, when he has a Vavrinka of a day and plays at that level, that's some of the best tennis you'll ever see. But if yeah. the rest of the year he doesn't beat a top ten player, you can't you can't say he's in the big five. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, he is, isn't he, to a certain extent, in the big five. But well, he's he, won three Grand Slams, yeah, same as Murray, three exactly. different ones but he's, as well. He's, he's but. not close to Murray for me in terms of, of actually pure quality. I think Murray's a better technical player. Because he's more and, consistent. Well, well, yeah, but, no, but even on his day, I think Murray's better. But, but statistically, when you just look at grand, pure Grand Slams, yeah, they're, they're on a level playing field. And yeah, that's what people largely remember. Well, in 20, but, 30 years, that's, that's but, all people yeah, exactly. remember, isn't it? But, but Vavrinka himself said, like, I think um, following the final, he was saying, I'm not, you can't really compare me to Murray yet because you look at how many Masters Murray's mm. won. Um, and other and, Grand Slam finals and semi-finals. And the Olympics and, and everything. Yeah, um, yeah on the, the greatest of all time thing, I don't think the, the, the conversations change much no. from when we talked to the French. It's just... Um, Bayfield's just ripping up his notes now. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yep, yep. <laughs> but, um, we can just have the conversation again. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I've still got to make that Sampras Lendl joke as well. Yeah, squeeze that in at the end. <laughs> but in ter- I think the big four or big five um, question is quite an interesting one because, uh, I mean, Murray just won the Olympics again, first male player to get two, two golds. And with all his achievements, and yet actually, again, historically, if you look back in 20, 30 years' time, and if things stood as they are now, it's you're fairly hard-pushed to claim that Murray was part of a big mm. four in that the other three have so many more grand slams. So you've got Federer 17, Nadal 14, Djokovic 12, Murray 3. Mm. And then you've got Masters Series, I think it's um, Djokovic 30, Nadal something like 26 Federer 24 and then it's Murray about 10 mm. or 12 it's a sort of less than half any of the other numbers so I think that well yeah the thing with Murray though isn't it looking at you know he's always he's making been, finals yeah getting up, but he's yeah. been a final seven of the last nine years uh and you know on on the balance of how good Murray is and has been in the last couple of years you'd say unfortunately it's not the right word but you know he could easily have had three or four more Slams, uh, whereas Vavrinka was so consistently sort of average for for years and years and years, and then suddenly bang, he's like now yeah. won a Grand Slam every year. I'm not saying at all that. I mean, Murray has a, a definite, you know, higher claim. Yeah. Um, as it stands to be, for sure, it's Van like, that's the, oh, yeah. the big yeah. four but because saying... he's always in the mix and always in the finals. So not between him and Vavrinka, but between him and the other three, he still has work to do to to you mean, justify. Should, it, should we of... consider it a big three <clears throat> plus Murray? It, well. It's more that those three were compared for for so long were ridiculously dominant and and with how many slams I think they, they have yeah I mean um, I... but now yeah and then it changed I mean obviously it was it was it was we talk about for a long time now for the four slams it, if it's become the big one with Djokovic so it was the big one when it was Federer then it was yeah. the big two I think <laughs> really though, so just, yeah I kind of agree with you it's it's two eras of the big one that have slightly overlapped because I think Nadal yeah he's an all-time great and you know when you win that many French Opens but if you take the French Opens out Nadal isn't on the same you know he's only comparable to Murray probably and and Vavrinka in terms of yeah, except when Nadal, know, okay, you, yeah. when Nadal beat Federer in, in 2008, and then I think in the same match he became world number one. People thought like, okay, it's a just that's the changing of, you know, changing the guard or whatever. Mm. Change, you know, the, here's the new force in tennis, and so yeah, it's it's just expanded. So when whether Vavrinka will now be part of that sort of big five, well, put it this way: if Vavrinka, for example, wins the next Slam, which is 
you know, fairly likely. Like, like he, the Australian is the one he's done best at overall over the years, and he has more than Murray. Then he, in a way, has to be, yeah. has to be kind of included if if the the criteria is going to be largely Grand Slams. I think it's about more though than just like comparing their uh, their like totting up their tournament wins because mm. it was more. I think it was more that in that period, kind of 2011, 12, 13, 14 you 15 16 30 <laughs> Gary you it was like you expected those four to be in the semi-finals yeah. and it was because you know because there is a semi-final with four players it was kind of more or less guaranteed that it would be those four and if it was anyone else yeah that was a story so it, I think it's more that than anything else but I think the, the yeah there's no there aren't five places in the semi-finals you're right and in terms of consistency of getting to the latest the end of tournaments for sure, those those four have been, you know, they're the absolute core. I think they said that because, you know, obviously, Federer wasn't involved in the US, Nadal lost fourth, fourth round, round yeah. and, and Murray lost, so just Djokovic. I think there was the, it was the last time that happened, there was only one member of the big four in the semis onwards was 2010, and the time before that was 2003. Okay. So that's two incidents, you know, in, what's that... 13 years or something yeah. where there hasn't been more than one member of the yeah exactly which is mind-boggling and also if they did all get to the semi-finals you know it was very hard to call who was going to win yeah. like whatever the combination was so they were <clears throat> for a time they were all kind of on yeah. a similar level it's and just, actually, that's not yeah, quite the case anymore the concept of the big whatever is doesn't really exist though does it now I mean yeah we said you know afterwards Djokovic saying yeah Vivrinka is it's now a big five mm. but it's not is it at all it yeah. Because Federer and Nadal aren't—they are maybe stature-wise and, and history-wise they are—but that you know, just in pure term results terms. I guess what not- it means it means that thing of it's been whatever it is a decade of such a small number of players winning all the slams with a couple of exceptions. So it was Del Potro with one, and you know, like Soderling and stuff. Church. Whereas with Murray, he had to get more than one for it to then be right. This is a real. Like contender in terms of the slams, and now Vavrinka with three as well. Maybe he, he dropped. Yeah, means I see what in, you mean. Yeah, in that sense that 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 you're not sort of like, oh, it could be another someone from outside this top group. It's like Vavrinka has Chilich to be kind or... of at, at, at like a, a level of probability higher than yeah, like Chilich or or yeah, um, sure. or Nishikori or someone. I mean, I don't know if you saw that comment about um, about Nishikori um, in terms of, in terms of how unbelievable his sort of all-court game, or his, his, certainly his ground strikes and stuff, that it might have, yeah, it might have been Barry Cowensing, but saying that if he had a better serve, that we'd already have been talking about a, a big five, which is <laughs> a pretty six. massive pretty <laughs> massive claim. But um, but there is, yeah, it's you can kind of see what he means in terms of he has a quite markedly weaker serve than a lot of the top guys. It's not an any advantage him serving when mm. he plays, like when he plays Djokovic or something but his ground game is it's just amazing incredible so he's if there's like a top six guys yeah obviously those big four still and then Nishikori Vavrinka I think amazing to see Del Potro Mm. getting back into the mix but it's early days in terms of whether he can he can keep that up sorry so I was going to say well I think one thing though that is becoming clear or well I guess it's probably up for debate that's why we're here but (laughs) as this year is drawn to an end is that actually Federer's achievements in terms of you know the GOAT debate 
it, it, the, there's distance growing, I think. You know, you'd say it looks a long way away now for Djokovic rather than in the mind's eye, it looked a bit closer after after yeah. the uh, French Open. I wasn't planning on having the gate. Well, I don't so have it, always but... happens, but, but yeah. Oh, wait, well, you know you're I mean? right. It's like the, the clock's ticking, so everyone that goes any that goes by and he doesn't win, it gets harder. But I I, I think it's early yet to make that call because he's still got a few years, you would think, to well to do it, and he'd, he'd need to win six. The toughest We're, years though that he'll yeah, have to do yeah, it. Yeah, we, so. we always talk about this the, this mix of um, it's a player a player like changing the game mm. it's um how extraordinary they were at their peak and then also the 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 longevity the long longevity longevity <laughs> that <laughs> the, they have the longevity long, longevity because um yeah i mean Djokovic slipping up once like he did at wimbledon uh losing mm. to query you know a, a stat like how many semis federer made in a row how many quarters he made in a row it does then reveal like quite how incredible those things are like eleven Grand Slam finals in a row. It was, wasn't it? Something like twenty-four semis and twenty-nine quarters, or whatever it is. Like those are crazy, crazy numbers. Um, and yeah, obviously there are new ones where someone challenging that. It's like you slip up once. Yeah, it's back to back to square one in terms of brilliance over a over a period. Yeah, but I think we missed out the final one in nineteen in that run from two thousand and five to time in nineteen times. Yeah, yeah. It's insane. That's ridiculous. But, I mean, Djokovic will... I'd be so surprised if Djokovic drops below this current sort of dip. You know, we've seen that someone playing... Someone having a Vavrinka of a day, someone playing out of their skin can beat him. But he's still... He's just... His consistency's ridiculous. And he'll still be in the latter stages. Um, it's hard to see that that won't be the case. I wanted to talk about Murray and, and the, the summer that he's had, because obviously, yeah, he did go out in the quarterfinal to Nishikori. Looked a little bit tired, I thought, but then he has had a very uh, very hectic summer, winning his second Olympic gold medal and, and, and his second Wimbledon title. Did you think that him winning Wimbledon wasn't as big a deal as you would have thought it would be? I mean, I know he'd won it before, but it's like I think it's the uh, concept. It's it's like it's like you know uh, Bradley Wiggins wins the Tour de France and mm. then like Froome winning it. Another British person, people are like, oh, it's also good. But like, it's the first. Yeah, it's when the it's novelty. The it's just the, the first. It's classic the breakthrough. It's the, that first one, like it, that's the thing which ends the mm. seventy-seven year drought and everything. And then another one, it just can't. I think it was pretty big, though. I mean, it was quite a big deal. It wasn't deal. not a big deal, yeah. but it wasn't as big a deal as... maybe Because even, the even like at Raonic. this point, no one like talks about it. It, it probably no. won't be in the conversation very much for sports personality. I know we don't want to talk about sports personality. Yeah, that is ridiculous. It's one of the most yeah, boring it, things. It but, should. I mean, obviously, the fact that it's the well, Olympics it's win, win, summer... Win, 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 the Olympics. Is, yeah. It, you know, it's kind of remarkable, really, when you consider how desperate the British public was for a Wimbledon champion when we were young. It's a bit insane. I, I do still wonder if the if the Murray personality thing is a part of it. And nah. you know how I feel about this, and I, I really, really like Murray. But if Henman had won Wimbledon, even if he'd won it a second time, I still think it would have been a bigger deal, Henman winning the second time. it was quite time. a big deal, though. I think you're underestimating how big a deal it was. Well, when Murray won the first one. No, the second one. I don't know. Yeah, maybe you just your your sort of vision has been blurred by the Olympics. Possibly, yeah. You're sort of you're looking back on that through the prism of the Olympics. 
But well, the, Olympics, think, uh, the Olympic year, in terms of the tennis around it, it does have a big difference on, on like where where people's attention is. And Well, no, that's true. But then Wimbledon was you know, a good month before the Olympics. I don't know. I just wonder, because you know, when you mention Wiggins and Freem, like, if Wiggins had won it a second time, would it still have been massive? Like, there is a personality thing that people just find it hard to warm to Chris Froome. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I mean, that's like... probably part of it. People are more willing to... To like talk about or more yeah, keen I mean, to talk about Federer being greater than they are, like sort of Schumacher or so, because of personality. Yeah, things yeah, as well. and, yeah, um, and yeah, definitely it's a factor. But you know, and Wiggins is clearly a bigger personality than Froome. Certainly, outwardly, you know, Wiggo, all the sort of nicknames, the sideburns, and also the, the public had a bit more perhaps affection for him because of what he'd done in the Olympics mm, over the years. They knew who he was that, already, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just on the Murray thing, like I. I probably get more frustrated with Murray than you two do, um, but I do. I think he's. I think people, people both almost sort of don't give him enough credit for his achievements for just how incredibly good he is. Yeah, winning the Olympics twice, beating. So think about it. Like beating Federer in the Olympic final, who beating the sort of the best ever grass court player in an Olympic final in straight sets. And absolutely um, steamroller. Yeah, well. steamrolling. Yeah. Um, Beating Djokovic in straight sets in his Wimbledon when he wins Wimbledon, coming back to win the Olympics, I think he's just incredible. Um, he's a good he player. Was, he was, good he, was player. The, he was the the he was legitimately the best player at this year's Wimbledon. I did obviously, I think we all did want to see a Murray Federer final, and it would have been fascinating because Federer has had such a strong record against Murray in the last few encounters. Um, but ha- having said all that, I, the, one of the reasons I still get frustrated is because, to me, Murray lost, virtually entirely lost to Nishikori because he lost it mentally with one incident. And then, but that whole match, he was pissing and moaning at his player's box. He was constantly grumbling and all this stuff. And when, on a f- not even that key a moment, it was sort of say it was 15.30 on the Nishikori serve on a, you know, and it was a big game, but this noise goes off in the stadium and the umpire calls a let. Murray, I think, was it, he lost the next five games and he was just completely out of the match for about 20 minutes. And even 20 minutes later, he was still uh, having a go at the umpire who's still shouting in his player's box. Like, how can... It's like, with that experience as well. Sorry, with that he's got so much experience. Exactly, now. like you'd think. You hear you hear those stories about like what Federer was like when he was younger, and he couldn't control any of these things. And he says that, you know, had he not ever been able to start controlling his emotions, he maybe would have won a slam or two or whatever. Like he he's had enough talent and things, but there's absolutely no way he would have gone on to have the career he has with and and that amount of consistency. And to me, Murray. Is the same. I don't think Murray is helped by his um, attitude on court, by his sort of constant chat, by his muttering, everything. I, I think very, very few players are ever helped by that. Um, people, yeah, we've, we've mentioned it before, but like people talk about McEnroe is one of the very few where he seemed to like actually kind of fire himself up and Channel get better it, from yeah. it. But Murray, to me, if he controls that more, he'll actually do even better than he has, which is already arguably maybe the best British sportsman in the world. This is good, actually, because for, for this section of the show, I've got one note. For the Murray section of the show, my one note is Osher rant about 
body language. So <laughs> okay. he just came into it naturally. I didn't even yeah. have to yeah. to push you there. But you are right. I mean, it, like his it, his on court behaviour against Nishikori was pretty extraordinary, really. And it is. I mean, Moresmo apparently found that very difficult. And one of the, one of the things she said was that she found it very hard to to square the person she knew off the court with the yeah. person on the kind court. Of like she and, didn't get it. Like she yeah. didn't, she didn't she didn't see how there could be such a transformation with someone who who was sort of so jokey and yeah, kind of and calm uh, and nice fair enough that then um, he, when he gets on court he's sort of um, no nonsense or he's absolutely in the zone but that doesn't mean that he can be that irritable mm. you can't you can't sustain and win as many grand slams he is, as he deserves if he's still thinking of something that's happened 20 minutes ago mm. like you can't You've got to be in the moment playing those things. Tone's right? nodding sagely because you know this from Six Aside Football Tone, don't you? You've got to be like a Zen monk out there. That's very much your approach. <laughs> that is my approach, yeah, <laughs> you're right. Don't yeah, get like... riled up when the other team foul was... you and <laughs> jostle you around. One knock is enough. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Tennis players have it easy because you don't have your, anyone like, yeah, as you say, jostling yeah, you. Contact sport, no, well, the other way of looking sport. at it is that the other way of looking at that is that you would maybe want some outlet mm, and that's need, the thing about yeah. like the the racket smash or whatever isn't it yeah there's true. no there's no you, don't, you can't well, jostle you someone can't you can't like, go into, into a, a tackle a bit harder tackle. you can't yeah. you're like you're basically in a sort of padded room aren't you it's bizarre it, on your yeah. side of the court because also the other thing that you can sort of do in a you know in a big team sport is, is just charge down the field mm. on like a you know an exhausting run but you really you can't yeah. really do that in tennis yeah well, I'm, always, I'm always fascinated by how much more tennis players speak to themselves than in any other sport. I mean, obviously, in team sports, you have people to discuss things with. You can't even speak to your coach in a tennis match. But in other individual sports, it doesn't seem it's not as much mm. factor. You don't really see, like, a runner, like, like saying things really out loud or very loudly about their own game, you know, like, a runner. my backhand, or, you know, oh, that's a runner's not going to say that. <laughs> but you know what I mean? In tennis, like, they shout things which the opponent can then hear, which the crowd can hear, which their box can hear, but, like, analysing their own game, mm. it's, it's bizarre. <laughs> they are a runner, like a hurdle, like, I shouldn't have hit that hurdle! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Should have jumped over it! Jump! Next oh, run! <laughs> yeah. That would be good. I was, it's mystifying to me, like during the Olympics, watching a lot of the, uh, uh, a lot of the kind of BBC coverage, and I, I j- always find it amazing. Michael Johnson talking about like race strategy and stuff. Yeah, it does just seem to me run as fast as you can, mate. That would be yeah. my strategy. Yeah, yeah exactly. javelin strategy. He's like, he's, it's like he's gone for an interesting <laughs> technique. He's gone of there, throwing yeah. the javelin further than his. <laughs> he's gone out and executed his race strategy to perfection. It's like, yeah, he just ran really fast. I don't know. Yeah, it's I'd certainly for the it. sprints. It's hard to see because <laughs> also he yeah, then says that um, the bolts technique and stuff's not very good. <laughs> he just runs faster than the others. Yeah. It's almost yeah. cheating, isn't it? Yeah. On the subject of the Olympics, you, you enjoyed the Olympic tennis. Like, Tony, you said you watched more of the tennis at this Olympics than ever before. Yeah, I really liked the. Uh, really enjoyed. I thought we were talking about the US Open again for a minute. Uh, no, I really liked the Olympic tennis. Yeah, it was good. But there, there were some great. There were some great matches, and also followed it slightly more closely on the women's side as well with Heather Watson playing. She should have got further than she did. Got knocked out in mm. the second round of that. Uh, but yeah, no, I thought I thought it was great. Absolutely awesome to see. One Martin back in the mix, isn't it? And the other good end of the year, you know, decent enough performance at the uh, the US as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, that amazing moment uh, in the Vavrinka match, where yeah, he'd played brilliantly again. He won the first set. Vavrinka doesn't seem to be great at first sets actually. But Del Potro taking the first set, 
against an informer Varinka. Varinka coming back. It ended up being relatively one side in the last two sets, and Del Potro seemed a bit knackered. But there was this thing of this standing ovation um, and amazing sort of football crowd style chanting as Del Potro is coming out for the last for what seemed to be the last game, and then Del Potro sort of in tears going into match point. So like that's that's what you want to see. You want to see that kind of fervor and that atmosphere and that was an incredible and the completion of that match there were both players in tears yeah yeah oh that was sorry that in was the Olympics the, sorry that was the, uh, in yeah, the yeah. Olympics with yeah. Djokovic the, in the one with Vavrinka yeah like sorry yeah um, pay attention team yeah sorry, was, <laughs> no but um, yeah. just on bet 365 <laughs> checking out the but, odds um, yeah but in both cases that's um, and also you you bring in those types of fans as well Del, po- Del Potro is a player who people feel like that strongly about who his fans love that much, and um, it's Although, quite actually, like it said, was sorry to interrupt, but it was actually it was nice that he got that at the U.S. Open because at the Olympics, in the Olympic final, obviously he's from Argentina. Yeah, true. Uh, it was yeah. in Brazil. Yeah, like there was a lot of booing, and, and certainly I mean, when it, even more so when he was playing there, Nadal, because it was like yeah. there were a lot of a lot of Nadal support, and and yeah, he was getting booed. He was getting booed, and I just thought that was kind of tragic because he's like the most likable player. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was just a bit of a shame that he was getting booed at the Olympics. They, they, I, Again, someone mentioned this thing of um, about like how few players have won slams. I said that Del Potro's the last player, and also the only player for such a long time um, to have won a slam who's not from Europe. Hmm. It's kind of an interesting point. Like, Since Roddick, I guess. This, and that's quite amazing, isn't it? Both in terms of the state of the American game, like mm. there was always in the past in tennis, yeah, 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s, mm. whatever, America was such a force. So now you've had a before, situation before where this, for like yeah. a decade you've got one person outside of Europe. And, and, yeah, as I was saying, before, yeah, before the sort of Federer kind of era, yeah, yeah Australia as well. Yeah, exactly, and, yeah. But you, it, it just made me suddenly think, actually, this thing of they've talked a bit about doing a kind of tennis-style Ryder Cup. On that evidence, quite unbelievable, actually, how good Europe... What Europe view Europe, say, yeah. Europe have been. Yeah, that would be a little bit really one-sided, worked, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, if I, the, no, I mean, sort of that sort of format. Okay. I think it would be like against the rest of the world, sort of thing. Mm. Or, Even so, yeah. I mean, if Del Potro had stayed fit through the course of his career, I think we'd be talking about a big seven <laughs> for sure. Yeah, so, but it's great Extend to see him the back, table. especially um, the thing about him just sitting at home watching The Simpsons for two years. Yeah, is just amazing. Yeah, not even really following. <laughs> What was going on? Was he? Uh, it was, well. He was asked about a player. Was it was he? like to, I think it was when he was going to play Steve Johnson. Was that at Wimbledon? And they're like, "Yeah, what do you think about your next opponent?" It's one of those classically kind of boring things where players are just expected to be like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Well, obviously he's a very good player. It's like, well, that doesn't need to be said. Um, but you know, like I've I've kind of watched videos of certain, certain, of, of his game and everything. And yeah, Del Potro basically said, um, "I don't know who that is. I, I was at home for two years watching The Simpsons." <laughs> Which is so great. Uh, one other player who definitely has caught the eye sort of towards the end of this year and at the US Open is Monfils. Just yeah. some of the stuff. You yeah. know, if he can get it together next year. Could be talking about a big eight. <laughs> be great to see him in a, in a slam yeah, I mean, final. Just that, that's an interesting... He had, he had a weird tournament, didn't he? An interesting question as well. Like, if you could pick, like, a top eight or top ten of players who you'd most love to see regularly at the end of tournaments, who it would be? Because Monfils, for me, for sure would be there. Um, and this tournament, as you say, was weird because people were remarking on how kind of um, concentrated and professional and um, sort of un-Monfils Monfils was being. <laughs> um, 
And that's bizarre because that happened up until the semi. Until he got and then to the biggest match. <laughs> Djokovic, it was just, it was the most bizarre match. Like, he was hitting sort of really soft shots um, short in the court and then trying to react when Djokovic would attack them. And, and you know, some of the time didn't seem to be trying, hit like trick shots. So it, it, maybe he just sort of, he resorts to that mode when perhaps he realises that he, he's, he is outmatched. But if you but can, he, I mean, just look at his record the, against Djokovic, yeah. is he's over thirteen yeah. against Djokovic. Yeah, so maybe he's just like different. Yeah. Just like, yeah, yeah. don't know, try and wind him up, get yeah. in his head. Or something. Yeah. Well, people do talk about stuff like that. It's like, you know, if you've got like a uh, zero from fifteen record against Nadal, yeah, like kick over his water bottles or like hit every serve from the tram lines. Just do something or like you know slice every forehand. Like why not? So, so, so maybe that was tackle. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at the change of ends, we'd probably do yeah. it as well. Yeah. Monfils, he's right up there, obviously, with the question of like the, the the best athlete in the game. Although he does, he's got that thing which Del Potro has, which he sometimes seems to like be doubled over, kind yeah. of heaving and like seeming to be like needing the hospital about four games in, but then is still like that, kind of after another four hours. Um, so it's a bit of a weird one. But yeah, you'd, you'd love to see him at the business end, yeah. more the sharp end, yeah. more yeah. majors. Uh, well, on the women's side of the U.S. Open. Angelique Kerber won her second slam of the year and she now goes to number one in the world. She takes that number one ranking off of Serena Williams, who lost in the semi-final. She had a pretty good year, you have to say, Kerber, because she got to the Olympic final as well. Lost to, was it Monica Puig? For the first, yeah, for Puerto Rico for the first time, a medal. The first, yeah, was it first medal for Puerto Rico? it was first medal. It's certainly first gold, for sure, yeah. Yeah, incredible. Uh, And that was fun. And that was sort of almost out of nowhere, really. Although she has, yeah, she's done good things but you've got to love the atmosphere in those Olympic matches as well mm. it's sort of different it is a different thing to to other tennis crowds isn't it and just that that, that vibe yeah because it's a lot of it is kind of non-tennis specific fans. Fans, yeah non-specific yeah. which does sometimes mean also they don't really get the thing that tennis is one of those sports where it's like silence during <laughs> points so it's like it's just constant noise they really struggle good to watch but also somewhat disruptive they really struggle with that at the golf apparently yeah, like people were just like, people were like picking up the balls as well yeah. if they went off, <laughs> yeah. off the fairway. It's quite amusing, <laughs> or even just on the green. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah, it's definitely been the year of Kerber, hasn't it? And if if, I, if no one's used Kerber, your enthusiasm yet, then <laughs> missed a massive quite trip. good actually. But. Yeah, well, well, Serena was number one for was it 187 weeks in a row? I think she's now well, she's matched. Uh, she's literally week for week matched Steffi Graf, hasn't she? In terms of most weeks at number one, she's also there in terms of slams as well. So it can't be. It's, if she doesn't, you know, I think it must have been 187 in a row, and then there were other ones for sure because Federer is yeah. on 302, and yeah. Serena's been as she must be. It must be. No, sorry. yeah, there's there's a very long stretch in a row, but it's it's yeah. more than that overall. But yeah, she's obviously now, you know, there's three slams this year that she's not won. She did win Wimbledon. Yeah. And she's obviously got to at least the semi-finals of all the others. Yeah. Um, but, you know, is she... Are we just starting to see the... I was going to use the word decline, but that seems a, a bit harsh. But, you know, is it is the, the era of total dominance over? I think she's in a similar state to how Djokovic is at the moment, actually. Except hers is more based on sort of age and stuff. But, you know, that she's still... Going into every tournament, both Djokovic and Serena are like, you know, the favourites. But mm. they are both fallible. And um, yeah, like Serena, I think she still 
wants it as much. I think um, once she got that Wimbledon title and, and equaled the um, the slam record, I think that was that was pretty huge and uh, had a bit of a disappointing Olympics. But she'll she'll be back for sure. And she's always a massive threat. Kerber's an amazing one actually because she's actually a bit of a female Nishikori in terms of she doesn't actually have much of a serve. Mm. Watching the Wimbledon final, it was quite amazing and actually sort of shows how good Kerber is because it was a very, very good match and she hurt Serena's service so much better. Um, so to, to to make it that close, bearing that in mind, um, shows yeah. like how good the rest of her game is. And to beat Pliskova as well, who's a, a ma- who's got a massive serve. Yeah, yeah. Quite cool to see Venus doing so well um, yeah. again. And they a lot of people apparently saying that like the Pliskova-Venus match was like the match of the tournament like so up and down and pretty cool as Venus had all his health problems and so and is what turning 37 Um, no it's incredible I mean women's tennis is very exciting at the moment and you know uh, the fact that Serena's not completely dominant anymore I mean you know her dominance is an amazing thing but it does it does make it more exciting when it's just opened up a little bit and there's there are a lot of very exciting players around we saw Magarutha win uh, the French Open she's Um, great to watch as well like Magarutha, big yeah. fan, and Monica Puig, and you know, there, there's Pliskova coming through now as well. You know, there's there's some really, you know, there's there's a lot of excitement around the women's game, and you just get such great, you do get such great matches. Like it, to me, women's tennis for a few years went through this phase of you know there'd be extremely one-sided finals um, and matches which were so kind of up and down, but not in a good way, not not kind of like. Uh, breaks here and there, but I mean, sort of six-one love six, yeah, six love or something. Just the level of hitting and the number of players who can play these kind of epic three setters. The number of possible winners of slams now is it's making things a lot more interesting. Well, I think that's about it for the world tennis show. Then have we covered everything? For now, maybe. Well, we'll have to come back before. <laughs> we'll come back one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll have to come back before the uh, Australian. Well, Open, yeah, it might be January, so that might be it for this year, unless we do some kind of Christmas special, or maybe ATP World Tour Finals. <laughs> well, we got one fan who approached me in person because he's a close friend. <laughs> um, who was I thought de- that was in the story. We've got one fan. That is most of the story, <laughs> but who was demanding more episodes? Well, there so, we go. You know, to that fan. Um, no, <laughs> we're going to stick to four. Um, uh, we could do a fifth. No, no, we I could... would love. I would love to do more of them. It's just, it's just tricky to to get us all to, together to be bothered. Um, well, we're all very in demand, aren't we? Ha- just very quickly, actually. How commitment. do you see? Yeah, how do you see the rest of the year unfolding? It's always a bit of a weird time of the year because it's strange how the four slams, yeah. yeah, are basically ended by September, early September. Well, the, um, the whole. I mean, this is a much bigger discussion. Maybe we can have this next time. But the, the whole tennis calendar. And the way the slams slot into it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like obviously, it's to do with you know historical things and, yeah. and stuff, but it doesn't make any sense to have the French and Wimbledon so close together. And then, as you say, the last slam is in early September, and now you've it got doesn't make three sense. months no. to run. You know, if you drew it up from scratch, you wouldn't arrange you it like that. It wouldn't look um, like it. And also, all. how much would you love to see, for example, a grass court Masters? Yeah. That's rid- it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that there isn't one. Yeah. And that the grass court season is four minutes long. <laughs> it's just it's so annoying. Yeah. That, that it's 
almost entirely a hardcore sport. That is absurd. But that being said, I do quite enjoy this this swing. You know, this uh, the Asian swing that, that we're going to go into now, and the, yeah. and when the players are really trying to get enough points to to get to London. You know, I do quite enjoy that. But that being said, it is it's obviously a big shame that Federer is not going to play before the end of the year. He's not going to be in London. He was definitely um, a notable absence yeah. at, the, at the US and at the French, like missing, missing two. Well, yeah. two it's a slams. glimpse of the future, and it's it's not a hugely leaves, uh, leaves encouraging a one for sure. Because yeah, there's just a big a big presence not there. You're saying that wearing a Federer shirt. You know, just, <laughs> I'm literally um, wearing a, mask. an RF shirt currently. Um, um, but yeah, quite amazing this thing of um, announcing so early on, really, that you're out for the rest of the year. Mm. But you know, well, you he, do wonder, don't you? He you says do he says it's like so that he can play for a few more years. Well, I, I hope, hope that's the you case. and I at least both have this thing of like, yeah, if he wanting to play till I don't know forty or something, it's like if he's still like top thirty in the world or yeah. anything like that, like just keep people going. Still, it, people still want to watch him play in yeah. person and like. You know, this is still something special. Like and and we, we've spoken this, uh, about this in terms of cricketers as well. You know, if you don't, if you don't need to it. retire, you don't want to retire. No. You know, it's no shame. You know, people are like, oh, you know, he's, li- you know, he's, he's sort of trashing his yeah, legacy yeah. and stuff. It's like, but it's, it's, not, it's, like, not, it's it, not like Al Pacino being in Geely. <laughs> I mean, still in that case, like he's done enough genius stuff. So it's like, okay, you can do what he wants. But like, yeah, it's not. It's not exactly like Sonic Federer is going to turn up and embarrass himself. No. Like playing these things. Like people say it's a bit of a shame he's not as dominant. But it's so, we've talked about this before, but it's so ridiculous the thing of journalists more or less saying, like they've said in the past, like why such and such should be the last year for Federer. Why he should really hang up the bat. It's like, f you. Like, <laughs> like, like I'll retire when I want. Also, I love doing this. I love doing my job. Also, if they're calling it a bat, they probably don't know <laughs> yeah. a huge amount about tennis in the first place. But it's also it's different. You're saying about we've talked about it in terms of cricketers, but it's different in tennis. Because in cricket, you could be like letting your team down and like play, yeah, okay, you know, true. super megastars like Tendulkar, who arguably went on too long. But it's like you couldn't drop him because he's Tendulkar, but he was having a negative impact yeah. on his team. For Federer, who cares? You know, it's, he's the only one he has to answer to. He basically and says he he'll just, retire when he stops enjoying it. Yeah, that's it, not for the. It's brilliant. And as far as I'm concerned, keep playing, Roger, because yeah. I don't want it ever to end. I mean, how much would you love to turn up to like Wimbledon? you know, like 2024, and there's like this way older guy, but just like craftily winning his way through like the first two rounds yeah. and then going out. Be genius. Well, there's that thing... It'd be such a draw still. I Could mean, be me. The <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, maybe you'll peak at that time. Yeah. There's a thing about that guy coming out of a coma, you know, he'd been in a coma for 12 years. And winning Wimbledon. Oh, no. <laughs> and finding out that, that Roger Federer was still... You know, at the top of the game, and he, that was like his favorite thing, thing yeah. when he woke up. Probably his second favorite, more like the first, was probably waking up, <laughs> yeah. being alive. <laughs> but yeah, as for you, Tone, like, you know, if start by getting into your wedding suit and then first maybe move. focus on the, the Wimbledon career. Anyway, that is it for the World Tennis Show. We will be back at some point. We are off for a Chinese now because we're all very hungry, I think. I mean, what are we doing? Who goes for a Chinese at nine o'clock on a Tuesday night? Well, we do. It's absurd. Yeah, that's what lots of people do. Go to Chinatown, mate. There's uh, a lot of Chinese food yeah. being eaten. Open in Chinatown. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I've no, you around. All through the night. Uh, but anyway, we'll be back possibly in November, possibly in January. But until then, thanks for joining me tonight, guys. Cheers, mate. And, Cheers, uh, Baff. We'll see you all soon. Bye-bye for now. Just